Welcome to Managed Carecast, a podcast from the American Journal of Managed Care. This is Jamie Rosenberg, Assistant Editor for the American Journal of Managed Care. During this week's podcast, we'll be focusing on generic drugs and two groups specifically that are working to ensure that these drugs are developed and accessible for patients. First, we'll be speaking with the CEO of the U.S. Pharmacopeia about their new generic drug access plan, and later, we'll sit down with the CEO of Civica Rx, the nonprofit generic drug company formed by a group of health systems to address shortages and high-cost generics. Generic drugs offer treatment options that are as effective and as safe as brand-name drugs while also helping contain and lower costs for both patients and healthcare systems. Over the last 10 years, generics have saved Americans $1.5 trillion. However, there are still many off-patent medications that have few or no generic alternatives. In an effort to facilitate generic competition, the U.S. Pharmacopeia, also known as USP, released their generic drug plan, which focuses on new and revised quality standards, training and education, and collaboration with the FDA and other healthcare stakeholders. To discuss this plan, we sat down with USP CEO, Dr. Ron Piervincenzi. Thanks so much for joining me today. So to start off, for some background, how prevalent are generic drugs? How many prescriptions do they account for? And how has this incidence changed in, let's say, the last five years? Well, in the last uh, couple of years, uh, generics have come to represent greater than 90% of prescriptions in the U.S. So by far, the vast majority of prescription medicine in the U.S. are generics now. Uh, that grew, roughly think of it as a, as a steady growth from the mid-80s when the Hatch-Waxman bill was first passed of Congress, at which point the generics were really a very small part of this medicine supply. Um, so that's greater than nine, 9 out of 10 uh, and I think what we've seen in the last 10 years or so has been, you know, big blockbuster medicines in cardiovascular space, um, hypertension, cholesterol um, have become generic. And, um, and that's where you've seen really big numbers come from. So are there any hesitations still among patients who are prescribed a generic or is that not something you really hear anymore? It seems that the biggest hurdle for trust in generic in most classes and that is um you know went through the usual adoption curve of innovation in the early 80s to the late 90s um but what i will say is that we see that same curve of of skepticism to understanding to trust play out in new areas uh, and so while you'd say in general that's true that in the us generics are trusted without people thinking too much but in new areas and specialty areas, sometimes you see that same curve have to uh, have to play out over and over again. And how important are these generics for both containing healthcare spending, but also ensuring that patients have access to these medications? Well, we believe that because the generics represent more than ninety percent of medicines, that at a minimum you could say they're more than ninety percent responsible for right. uh, controlling spending and access, which is an awful lot. Um, and that's how we view this that the generics represent most of medicine access in the U.S., and therefore it's extremely important. Um, It's overwhelmingly important in ensuring access to treatment. So what is currently stifling generic drug competition? What are different factors that are at work preventing certain generics from entering the market? I think that the drug competition struggles on some of the fringes, uh, which is a fringe 
from what most people think of as their everyday medicines, but are not fringe areas for those who need that particular uh, medicine or class of medicines. So what I mean by that, um, for the very biggest name products that you can think of, the drug competition is generally quite sound. Mm-hmm. Where the struggles come in is where you have drugs that are available in the public in smaller numbers, they're more unique or specialized therapies, perhaps they're complex drugs that are administered, for example, with inhalers or, or injection, even um, things like uh, sterile saline for use in hospitals. So what we see in those areas where the volumes are lower is that the number of entrants can often um, be very much reduced, and that can result in less competition. Um, or frankly, just just less entering the marketplace. So something we hear a lot from stakeholders is them pointing to the patent system as kind of being involved in stifling drug competition and preventing these generics from entering the market. But the patent system in the U.S. is a complicated one. So would you be able to give a brief background on how it works and how it could affect generic drugs? It is complicated, and I think that the the complication goes up by orders of magnitude. Um, when the therapy, the drug itself, is more complex. Um, so if you have, for example, a drug in an aspirator for an asthma patient, it's not just the drug that, that, of course, is patented, but the delivery mechanism and the meter dose inhaler, for example. Um, so in that context, to simply say the patent is in place or expired, is, it's just not quite that simple. It's not quite that binary. Um, and I think that, that goes quite a bit in this in the space where we see drug competition sometimes suffering. It's because many of the therapies are more complex and the patent around them are more complex. Uh, I can say I can add one thing, though, that regardless of that, um, at USP, we collaborate with innovators and generic companies to develop um, our quality standards. And so even if products are under patent, we often, in fact, most of the time, will have our collaborations to help set up a public quality standard available to all. Um, and that can help not only uh, creating a single standard for regardless of medicines patented or, or not, but also create um, you know, like a fair marketplace, a fair exchange, so that quality is uh, regarded the same way, whether, whether under patent or not. So the reason for this call today is because USP released its generic drug plan. The plan is focused on drugs off patent and trying to increase access to generics for these drugs. One part of the plan is focused on offering training and education for generic manufacturers across the globe. So can you give a little more detail on this aspect of the plan? Yeah, I'm glad you asked for that. Um, This is not the glorious uh, and perhaps exciting (laughs) part of the plan, but it's a really, really important one. Regardless of the generic medicine, but especially, once again, when the areas are more specialized in sterile products and inhaled and drug device combinations, in those areas that most likely result in shortages and or low competition, one of the reasons the competition is low is that they're frankly just more difficult to make. And one of the reasons um, fewer companies are, are making these more complex generics is that they don't have the skill sets and the know-how to do it. So what we've done at USP is we've created um, a series of different kinds of tools, both in-person as well as um, web access only, focusing specifically on how, uh, how to create quality generic products, how to do the proper quality testing um, to lower the bar, uh, or the barrier, I should say, to lower the barrier um, to manufacturers to be able to create those quality medicines. Um, We've even gone so far as to deploy those training tools in partnership with the World Health Organization um, and the USAID, the funding agency of the U.S. government, 
to help produce those quality medicines um, in, in, in sub-Saharan Africa and Southeast Asia where access is you know, that much lower even than it can be in the worst case in the U.S. And while we want all these new generics, it's also important to keep in mind the need for them to be developed with certain quality standards. How do you think having a developed and updated quality standards will help generic drug manufacturers with developing these drugs that don't yet have alternatives on the market? I think the simplest way to think about that um, is that when you're a generic drug manufacturer and you're looking to to do the R&D necessary for you to produce a generic for the first time, uh, for at least a first time for your company, you are starting off where because you don't you don't you don't know how you have to figure out how to create that drug. And not only do you not know exactly how you'll create it, but you don't know the testing and the procedures and the and how you will then convince the U.S. FDA that what you produce is is a product that is interchangeable with um, with the innovator drug that it can be prescribed that way. So the where a quality standard comes in. And while it doesn't answer all of those questions, it goes a long way to define what good looks like. And having that from the beginning, what good looks like, helps you not only to produce and and ensure that your process meets that goal, but gives you essentially a target to shoot for. And that same quality standard is the one being used by the U.S. FDA in its approval process. So you know what the FDA will be using in its process. You're able to shoot for that mark. Um, and therefore, you reduce the chances of your failure and also reduce the cost and time it takes you to develop that product. So all that to say, if a quality standard is in place, as a generic manufacturer, you can more quickly and more cheaply create that product. We think that's a wonderful benefit. Yeah, definitely. Are there any certain therapeutic areas that you think this plan will help with in particular? Well, I think there are. And it goes, it's not that it's specific to the therapeutic area, but certain areas have more of the drugs that are currently lacking competition or even in potential shortages. So those areas that are prone to have drugs that are more specialized or, um, or requiring sterile injection. So there are quite a few in the cardiovascular space. Um, there are several drugs in the area of asthma and allergy that suffer these. Um, you, you, you hear about this from the EpiPen um, challenges, so you see that both there as well as through inhalers. Uh, so there are these, these are the areas that tend to today have the highest number. But what you'll notice is over time, this will shift from, from drug area to drug area, depending on what new products are coming um, available in the generic space. So something I thought was really interesting about the plan is that it mentioned collaboration. The third part of the plan mentions convening regulators, industry reps, patient groups, payers, and other stakeholders. How will doing this help facilitate new ways for generic development? Why is it so important that collaboration is included in this? So there's two ways. I think one is quite unique in this particular uh, generic access plan uh, that USP is launching, and the other is really how we've done things for literally 199 years. So let me start with the second. Uh, beginning in 1820, USP was was founded by um, uh, 11 physicians, um, three of whom were U.S. senators, and their goal was to join up and link to pharmacists, and together, that really represented the entire industry for medicine at the time, um, to work together and produce what was the first uh, quality standards in the United States. To this day, that's our model. Of course, the parties necessary are broader. So now practitioners, the pharmacists and the physicians, are one of our three areas. But the other, of course, is industry. It didn't exist in 1820. And the third 
is government regulatory. Um, so, for example, U.S. FDA, who also did not exist in 1820. So we regularly, I mean literally every day, convene those three parties in and around all of our thousands of standards. We have 26 committees of 10 to 20 each um, expert members that join together to set our standards. That's what we do on an everyday basis. In addition to that, on top of that, in the unique case for the generic access plan, we took a step back and said, in this area, we have to have other people at the table to help us even to identify what standards are needed. And this is where we brought in others, payers, uh, patient groups, special other people within the regulatory environment to help us identify and prioritize the standards that we most urgently need to help fulfill this public health need. So with biosimilars slowly entering the market, do they have any part in this plan as well? Or is this something that'll be included more in the future as more enter the market? Yeah. So they are not included in our plan. The generic access plan really is focused specifically on things that are actual generic. If I might take the second part of the question, will that be a part of the future? I would say absolutely. Um, in fact, if you go back over the just, let's say, just the last 30 years, we don't have to go back 200 years, but if we go back <laughs> the last 30 years, what was new, of course, is different at every time. You know, in, at one point, insulins were new, and you know that many decades ago. And we saw the first statins become available generically, and then the first specialty drugs and the first injectable oncology drugs became available. So we've gone through the pattern many times, um, and certainly biosimilars are even, in some ways, even a bit more different. Um, but USP has already started in collaboration with uh, industry and FDA to create um, standards to help reduce the barriers to the ability to produce new biosimilars. Uh, there's new challenges and questions to quality that our standards can help alleviate, reduce, and speed um, new biosimilars to market. And then, over time, we can identify when there's more and more competition, uh, what role the quality standards can play to help um, to foster that competition as well. So I have one more question for you. Last year, different health systems announced that they were forming their own generic drug company called Civica Rx, and their plan is to introduce generics for certain hospital-administered drugs this year. So looking at your plan, how would it be really important for groups like this, ones that are kind of just entering the generic drug market and trying to bring generics to where there's a need, especially for shortages of certain drugs? Why would your plan be so important for these groups in particular? Yeah, thanks for that. And I think that's a good example of the the, the areas that that group has prioritized are just those that I was describing earlier that, that fit that that niche that are they're important, um, but aren't receiving traditionally the attention from industry that, that other areas have. Um, we are actually we're we're looking to reach out to offer um, our collaboration as we do with you know any manufacturer, um, and I might actually offer that some of the work that we've done outside the U.S. Um, in partnership with USAID is very analogous here, where groups come together for a common purpose, um, and our role in the collaboration is to ensure that whatever is done meets or exceeds the international quality bar that we can help bring to the table. Um, I'm sure those groups are fully intending to do so, but it's um, it's the sort of collaboration that we think could be very helpful right from the beginning um, and maybe reduce their barriers to achieving their goals uh, in the same process. So we look forward to that, um, and we, we welcome the collaboration. Perfect. So that's all the questions I had for you. Was there anything else about the plan that you think is important to bring up that we haven't talked about yet? Well, I just think um, if I can kind of bring this back to how this is a part of what we do every day, yeah. our generics access plan, um, uh, but uh, we hope that this is a nice example of how we can show what we do every day is relevant to today's um, public health challenges. 
Uh, and we look forward to uh, the continuing collaboration of industry and providers as well as regulators um, in helping us produce these standards for the public. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Jim. While generics are supposed to lower healthcare costs and increase access to medication, that isn't always the case. In some instances, generic drugs have seen steep price increases despite being on the market for years, and in other instances, some generics have experienced shortages. To address these issues, a group of health systems formed their own nonprofit generic drug company called Civica Rx. The company is intended as an FDA-approved manufacturer and will either directly manufacture drugs or subcontract manufacturing. Its initial efforts will be focused on addressing shortages of different hospital-administered drugs. To find out more, we sat down with the company's CEO, Martin Van Triest. Hi, Martin. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. So to get started, can you walk through which health systems initially spearheaded this initiative of Civica Rx when you initially formed? And now, how many are part of the company today? Yeah, so last September, we announced that seven founding health systems will be added to our governing board, and that includes Intermountain Healthcare, Trinity Healthcare, the Mayo Clinic, Catholic Health Initiative, now called Common Spirit Health, Hospital Corporation of America, Providence St. Joseph's Health, and SSM Health. Along with those seven governing members, we also have three philanthropic organizations that have joined our governing board, and that is the Laura and John Arnold Foundation, the Peterson Center for Healthcare, and the Gary and Mary West Foundation. And today, now, we've grown from those original seven health systems as members to a total of 28 health systems. Wow. And so initial efforts of Civica Rx will focus on addressing shortages of different hospital-administered drugs. Why did you choose to focus on these drugs, and in particular, ones that have shortages? Yeah, so drug shortages uh, clearly have a negative outcome on patient health and actually can cause patient safety issues. And so typically in a drug shortage, what happens Either a patient's treatment is canceled, like a surgery is canceled, or it's delayed, or the healthcare practitioners have to provide suboptimal therapy to the patient. So all of that has a negative outcome on patient health. But because of the health system is so complex within a hospital and the number of drugs available today, when health systems find alternatives for things that have been very regimented in their hospital, medication errors go up, and that affects, of course, patient safety. And the reason we're focusing on hospital-administered drugs is that these drugs, and they're very old drugs, some of them 50, 60 years old, are essential for the day-to-day operation within a hospital. And so without those drugs, hospitals can't operate in an effective manner. And so the first and foremost thing that we try to do is provide hospitals those essential medications so they can do surgeries, you know, all the things that a hospital does to take care of patients. So now that you have this company formed, what is the first step in being able to address these shortages and getting these generics to market? Where do you start? Yeah, so I think the first thing that we had to do 
is create what we call a drug selection advisory committee. So this is a committee of our governing and founding members. They bring forward, you know, chief pharmacy officers and frontline individuals who deal with drug shortages on a daily basis. And we bring them together and they help us, to, they really help us determine which specific drugs we should be going after and the priority that we go after those drugs. Right? They're on the front line, they know what's happening, they feel the most pain, so it's only logical that we start with them. Right, and outside of these health systems that are part of CivicRx, are there other key stakeholders that you think need to be involved for the company to be successful? Yeah, I would say the whole ecosystem of you know making a generic drug and getting it to market. So if you look at drug shortages, every player in the ecosystem owns a part of why drug shortages are happening. And it's all of, most of it's all a result of, you know, good intentions. And then there's unintended consequences for those good intentions. So you have the policymakers, you know, they make the laws, regulators who put the laws into effect, the entire, all the generic pharmaceutical companies, you have the middlemen who deliver the product from the generic pharmaceutical companies to the health systems and health systems are involved, healthcare practitioners and even the payers. So that whole ecosystem uh, has, a, has a, a role to play to fix drug shortages. And we at Civica have been working with every player within that ecosystem. And what are some of the biggest hurdles or barriers that are facing Civica RX that you sort of have to get through in order to make sure the company is successful? So our, our, our biggest hurdles that face us so far are things that every business that's starting up has to deal with, right? It's, the, it's what you don't know that's out there that has to be done. Just one, one particular example would be a company like Civica needs a state board of pharmacy license from every state in the country to distribute products. And so that's something that no one in our company has done before. Uh, we all come from very mature pharmaceutical companies, and those things were done hundreds of years ago. And today right. we have to do it from scratch. And so it was a learning process as we went through the bureaucracy and every requirement from every different state. So those are the challenges we face, things that just pop up like you're starting a new business. They just pop up and you have to deal with them. We have very smart people at Civica and we learn what's going on and we figure it out and then we deal with it. But that, that's really the biggest challenge. So USP recently released their generic drug plan, which is designed to create and update standards to help drug manufacturers like you guys develop generics. Is this something you think could help you guys through the process and kind of help address some of the barriers you mentioned? Yeah, I would I would say I'm not I'm not 100% up to speed on the USP's recent release generic drug plan, but I have a lot of respect for the USP. I mean, it's been around since the almost the founding of our country and uh, they usually come up with very good standards to protect patients and facilitate drugs to get to market. So it's clearly something we'll be studying, and I, I, I almost can bet that it help, will help generic manufacturers bring drugs to market. 
So once you get these generics to market, how do you think it will initially impact patient care? And also looking more down the line, how do you think this could impact care longer term? Yeah, so one, one, a big piece of our disruptive business model is to be very pro-competitive. We want to encourage as many manufacturers to be making these essential drug products as possible. And that way, by having several manufacturers who know what they're doing and can do it correctly, really provides a more robust supply chain. So when we go out immediately to the market with these drugs, we will not just go out, it's going to be Civica and manufacturing the product or a Civica contract manufacturer to manufacture. We want multiple manufacturers to make that product. So we're actively engaging, looking for multiple manufacturers to make any product. We only require the health systems to guarantee us half of their annual volume for any particular drug. And that way, there's always a healthy competition in the marketplace. And if we're successful with putting competition in the marketplace, the marketplace will fix itself. So that, that's really what our goal, one of our goals. And now looking at the current administration, one of Scott Gottlieb's main focuses during his time as FDA commissioner has been to facilitate generic drug competition and making sure patients really have access to the drugs they need. So do you think his departure will have an effect on Civica Rx and its mission? Or do you think that this priority will stay intact even after Gottlieb leaves? Yeah, I, I really have applauded you know, a lot of things that Dr. Gottlieb has done to help this drug shortage problem. And I, I think the FDA will miss his leadership. Now, saying that, though, the FDA is full of hardworking, dedicated professionals that their entire lives were to protect and serve patients. And I now believe that with the start of the initiatives out there, that those folks will continue to drive them. And I don't think the change will hurt the mission of Civica. So since the company started, what has the feedback been like? What's been the response from different stakeholders, different health systems? Oh, it's been overwhelming. I mean, if we go through that whole ecosystem, right, the, the policymakers are very supportive of what we're trying to do. I mean, they, you know, you typically would see the Democratic side of the aisle lean towards a government solution. And the Republican side of the aisle try to lean towards a free market solution. And we have spent a lot of time on Capitol Hill describing what Civica does. And both sides of the aisle really like this idea. And so we have bipartisan support. The regulators are very enthused. They want to help us, right? Because drug shortages creates a lot of work at the FDI. Right. And they're always concerned about patients also. So they're very supportive. They think our model has a chance to be successful. Uh, the number of manufacturers who like our model and want to come produce products for Civica is, is overwhelming. I, I just can't imagine how all these different companies want to work with Civica. So that's been positive response. Of course, the health systems, we continue to add health systems on a regular basis. We're at 28 health systems today. We continue to get phone calls and requests from over 150 to 180 additional health systems. So the response wow. has been great. Healthcare practitioners, of course, they love the idea because they struggle mm -hmm. with drug shortages on the first line. So everybody in the system has been very supportive of what we're trying to do. And now, what are some of your next steps? So in 2019, 
we will work to ensure that Civica generic drugs are available as soon as possible. And we're going to do that by continuing to partner with health systems to identify which generic drugs need to be produced, delivering Civica generic drugs to the health systems, and generating the capital for the company to reinvest and bring in more essential generic medicines to the hospitals, patients around the country. Perfect. Is there anything else you think is important to bring up or mention that we haven't discussed yet? Yeah, I think there's a couple things I'd like to add here at the end. I would say it's been very exciting starting up Civica. And I want to provide thanks to all who have become central to Civica's mission and on behalf of the hospital patients across the country. You know, it's a highly collaborative initiative, which will result in more predictable supplies of many medicines, helping to ensure that patients and their needs come first in a generic drug marketplace. Everything that we do at Civica is based on do what's in the best interest of patients. And I do want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak with you and and your, your listeners. Perfect. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. For more on generic drugs, visit AJMC.com or see the show notes. You can get in touch with us by emailing info at AJMC.com or by following us on Twitter at AJMC underscore journal. And finally, if you like the podcast, don't forget to rate and subscribe. Thanks for tuning in.